You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, If you're our first-time guest, man, I'm glad you're here, or maybe you've been gone uh, traveling like I have. Good to have you back. It's so good to be uh, back today. I was at the beach with my wife's family. Uh, It was a great week, and a great thing about it is they're so generous. It's a free week for me, so the best trip to the beach is the free trip to the beach, right? Can I get an amen? Are you with me? Uh, So it was great, but I'm uh, glad to be back, and if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our sermon series we're calling Life on the Mountain, and uh, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We live in a culture of critics in America. Uh, Everywhere you turn, someone's criticizing uh, someone else, someone's judging you, or someone's judging someone else. We see it all over TV. We see it everywhere we turn. It's just a culture of critics, Uh, whether you're a leader of an organization, you're a coach, or Uh, a politician, a a president, uh, maybe just um, a teacher, it doesn't matter, pastor, small group leader, leader in ministry, Uh, every single person in the room has dealt with harsh criticism. You've dealt with someone judging your performance. You've dealt with them uh, maybe even judging your character. And what's interesting is that with social media uh, today, it's just that much easier for this culture of criticism to grow and expand. And so you can criticize someone um, and, you know, post it online, and you could be at home in the comfort of your home, in your mom's basement if you want to be, and uh, criticize them. You never have to face them. You never have to look them in uh, directly into their eyes. It's just where we live. Uh, I'll never forget the commercial where uh, Brett Favre, he was at the time the quarterback for uh, the Packers, and it was the Monday morning quarterback type commercial. I think it was a credit card commercial or something, but I loved it because he's walking around, and, and this lady has a bag of groceries, and the bottom of the, uh, of the bag falls out, and all her groceries fall, and uh, he walks by her, and he goes, I would have double bagged. <laughs> and then he, he, next scene, he's like around these construction workers. They're digging a hole, and they bust a water main, and there's water spraying everywhere. And he walks by him, and he says, I would have dug around the pipe. And that's like commercial was just him, you know, being that Monday morning quarterback, telling, telling them what, what he would have done differently. And, of course, the irony is that every Monday morning after his game on Sunday, everybody in America was criticizing his performance, what he should have done, and how he should have done it better. And, and that's just the culture we live in. I think one of the hardest things you and I will ever have to deal with is unloving and harsh criticism. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You and I, we're, we're going to face it. Every single person in the room, it might be the, those very, very closest to you, your family members, your closest friends who judge you harshly and hurt you. It could be somebody you don't even know that is going to judge you or criticize you and they're, they're going to even criticize your motives. And there's no way they could know your motives. They, there's no way they could know your heart. But they will criticize you. They will judge you. I like the story of the, of the bachelor who was trying to get married. He wanted to get married. But every single woman he took home to his mother, his mother unmercifully criticized the poor girl. And so he didn't know what to do. And he was telling his buddy about the issue. And he said, man, here's what you need to do. You need to go find a woman who's just like your mother. And so he says, that's a great idea. So he went out, and uh, after time, sure enough, he found the perfect woman. She looked like his mom. She talked like his mom, walked like his mom, even thought like his mom. And so he said, this is it. I'm going to take her home. 
And his buddy said, man, you got to call me. You got to tell me how it goes. And the next day, he called him up and he said, man, how'd it go? He said, it went terrible. He said, why? He said, well, my mom loved her, but my dad hated her. (laughs) Dad, coming through strong. Listen, (laughs) you're always going to have a critic. In our culture, there's always going to be somebody who's not happy with your performance. And if you're trying to please everybody, you're never going to do it. There's always going to be a criticism that's coming your way. No one likes it, but it's part of our culture right now, and especially for you and I who hold to a Christian worldview. I mean, it's acceptable for non-Christians to criticize the Christian worldview today. They, they can judge, they can harshly condemn us for our views on abortion, our views on same-sex uh, marriage or same-sex attraction in general, and that's perfectly okay. But the minute you and I would, would share our opinion, you and I are seen as judgmental, critical people. It's part of our culture. It's where we're at. Uh, I think in our study today, we're going to see one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, and misused verses in all of the Bible, because it doesn't matter if you hate the Bible, if you don't agree with Christianity, you don't like the church, you know this verse, and you've used this verse against Christians or against anyone in general. We live in a culture that loves to judge. However, nobody wants to experience judgment. And so the verse that we're going to see is is really going to surprise, I think, a lot of people in the room. And so let's turn to Matthew 7. We're going to look at verse 1, living in a culture of critics who can't stand to be criticized. Here's what Jesus tells us. He says, judge not that you too be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the The King James Version says, judge not lest you be judged. So that's kind of the popular belief of culture. Our culture knows that statement and will use that statement at at any opportunity because of the hatred for this idea of themselves being judged. And so if you're taking notes today, these first couple of verses, to kind of break it down and, and, and let me unpack this a little bit, I wrote this statement down. Hurtful judgment only hurts you. It's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's saying hurtful judgment only hurts you. Now, why? I, I, I think it's interesting how he unpacks this. The, the Greek word for judge is, is the word krino and has several different meanings, but in this particular case, it means to condemn someone in a self-righteous, harsh fashion. So a self-righteous, harsh fashion means that you're not concerned with your own sin. You're not talking in humility. You're, you're not even thinking about how you have made mistakes or what your mistakes are. You're simply condemning someone in a harsh way with a self-righteous attitude. And Jesus is essentially saying, stop it. Stop criticizing other people. If you're a follower of Jesus, then what we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount is basic Christianity 101. Like, as a follower of Jesus, you and I have to do the hard work of not falling victim to this critical spirit, this judgmental attitude. You and I shouldn't want to be known 
uh, be known as a critical person. And so we've got to fight this tendency to have a critical spirit. We've got to fight this tendency to, to be the person that finds faults in everybody else and never looks in the mirror. If you are a perfectionist in the room, lean in for just a moment. All the perfectionists in the room, right? Could it be you know, in your desire for perfection, your desire for other people to do things the right way, that you have easily created a critical spirit in your own heart? I get it. I, I get it. I'm, I tend to be a perfectionist. There tends to be a right way and a wrong way. All the perfectionists in the room, are you with me? And the wrong way is the way that, that we don't do things. <laughs> and so I've got a right way, and if you don't do it that way, then it's most likely the wrong way. And if we're not careful, this desire for perfection, this desire for things to be just right, becomes a critical spirit that you begin to criticize and find faults with every single person in your family and people that you work with and people that you're friends with. If you've been hurt by someone and you want revenge, lean in for just a moment. You want that person to experience and get what they deserve. They hurt you, and because they hurt you, you want them to experience judgment. You want them to experience the, the, the pain that was equal to your pain, right? And here's the problem. As your desire for that person to experience that judgment grows in your heart, what essentially begins to happen is a self-righteous attitude that forgets your own sin. You start elevating the sins of someone else that hurt you, and you start minimizing the sins that you are struggling with, therefore giving you a critical spirit and critical judgmental heart, which affects your spiritual growth, which affects your emotional growth, which affects your marriage, which affects how you parent. And by the way, you can pass that judgmental attitude and critical spirit down to your children. And that's even a generational sin that could be passed down to your grandchildren. If you're self-righteously judging someone else's behavior, or you're condemning others for their sins, but you're not willing to realize your own, Jesus would say that hurtful judgment only hurts you. He's essentially saying it, that same amount of judgment that you want to give to someone else, he's saying that judgment is going to fall back on you. You're dishing it out, and he's saying that same amount is going to fall on you, even insinuating that God himself will cast that same amount of judgment on you and I. So everyone gets this. Like we hear the warning, right? We, we don't want hurtful judgment. We know it's gonna hurt us. And, 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 and everyone could probably agree, even culture would agree with these first 10 minutes of this message. Like, amen. Like, I get it. Don't judge me. I don't want anybody judging me. Jesus says not to judge. Everybody's on board. But what we often forget about are the next two or three verses. We forget how he applies this command and how he, how he applies this to our life. That's why I think it's one of the misquoted verses in all the Bible. I think it's one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. We want to skip it. We want to forget about it. Or we just simply don't want to apply it. This, 
Read it together. See what he says. Verse 3. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is, this is phenomenal. Like, don't let the, the, the familiarity of this, this, this hyperbole just blow past you today. Just let it sink in. Jesus is actually telling us here the right way to judge people. He's not telling us not to judge. He's telling us that there is a wrong way to do it, and there is an appropriate way to judge a fellow believer. And so he gives us a process. He gives us steps on how we're to do this. Now listen, all the process people in the room are like, sweet, I'm going to take some notes, I'm going to write some steps down, I'm a process guy. And all the creative people are like, ah, I hate process. Can I draw a picture or something? You know, pass the crowns down the aisle? No, there are steps, there is a process, and he allows this to unfold. If you're taking notes, here's what he says. Number one, before you judge others, judge yourself. Before you judge others, judge yourself. Verse three, get the plank out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. And so this, this, this picture that he's given to us is showing us just how stupid it is for somebody who has a log in their eye to walk over to a brother and say, excuse me, brother, you've got a speck in your eye. He says that's self-righteous judgment. And he says, look, before you judge others, you've got to judge yourself. And so as we think about this in terms of, of what that really looks like in our own life, let me just break it down to you. Essentially what he's saying here is stop condemning your boss's actions while you're showing up 10, 20, 30, one hour late, and then spending three or four hours on Facebook all day. Like there's no room for you to judge his actions when you're failing in so many areas. Jesus is saying, don't condemn the homosexual couple while you are sexually active with your girlfriend. There's no room there. He says, it's hurtful and you've gotta turn the mirror in front of your face and begin to judge yourself. Stop condemning, get the speck out of your eye. Now listen, if we would work harder at judging our own behavior, we'd have little time left to judge the actions of other people. We'd have, we wouldn't have time. There's so much we'd be dealing with in our own heart and in our own life, we wouldn't have time to tweet and to Facebook and to blast people. We wouldn't have time. The word for speck is the Greek word splinter. And what's a splinter? A splinter is just a piece of a plank. It's just a piece of a log. And so the idea here is sometimes when you're criticizing somebody else's faults or somebody else's, you know, hang-ups, your fault is just a chip off the old block. It's just a piece. It's just a splinter off of the log that is in your own eye. Here's what I mean by that. If you're a bossy person, guess what you notice in other people? Bossiness. <laughs> Why? Because it's just a chip off of the own log that's in your own eye. And so you see people who are bossy and you criticize them. They're so bossy. Look at them. Look at how they run. Why do you see it so clearly? Because it's all also in your own life. If you're a disorganized person, 
you're gonna see disorganizations in other people and you're gonna criticize them. Well, what about your what about your office? Oh, I know where everything is. I've got a system. But they're disorganized because they're bad people. <laughs> right? And so we see in other people sometimes our own fault. It's just a splinter of the log that is in our own eye. You're gonna see the faults that are in your teenagers very clearly. Do you know why you can see so clearly the faults in your teenager and in your college students? Because it's the same splinter that's been stuck in your eye for years. You see it so clearly because you dealt with it and you are doing the same things when you were their age. And so it's a lot easier for us to see. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Patrick Lencioni, but he's a great author, consultant in business. If you're in business, you need to read his books. Great stuff. But in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he talks about the fundamental attribution error that we experience. And, and, and here's how he explains it. He says, we tend to falsely attribute the negative behavior of others to their character, while we attribute our own negative behavior to our environment. Does that make sense? In other words, we like to believe we do bad things because of the situation, the environment that we're in. But somehow, we assume that others do bad things because they're bad people. Here's a few examples. Somebody is late to work. You assume they're late to work because they're lazy. Guy's late, he's just lazy. Doesn't want to put in the work. Doesn't want to grind, right? You're late to work, what's the reason? Traffic was so terrible. It was just bad. We assume the best for ourselves and assume the worst in others. Somebody at work didn't meet a deadline. They didn't meet the deadline. They just don't do things with excellence. And I do things with excellence. They just don't do things with excellence. When I don't meet a deadline, well, I didn't have the proper budget. There weren't enough people on my team. <laughs> we assume the best for us. The situation around me was the reason why I, I didn't meet the deadline. But when somebody else does it, it's because they're bad people because they don't want to work hard. In the same way, we often attribute in other people's uh, success to their environment and our own success to our character. So when he got the promotion at work and you didn't, your response was, of course he got the you know, promotion. His dad knows the boss and they have a relationship and that's why he got it. When you get the promotion at work, I work really hard and I'm really good. That's the fundamental attribution error. I teach this to my staff. You should teach it to your staff because we assume the worst in others and we assume the best in ourselves. Instead, what would it look like in your organization, in your small group, in our church, if we started assuming the best in other people and we give other people the benefit of the doubt instead of casting all of these negative motivations and, and negative character flaws in other people. It would transform your team. It would transform your marriage and your family and our church if we started to assume the best and we, we took away that critical judgmental spirit that immediately goes to the critical and the negative. So step one of the process, before you judge others, judge yourself. Number two, deal with your own sin. Deal with it. Don't just be aware of it. Deal with it. It's called plank removal, and we need to do more of it. I didn't say plaque removal. <laughs> We're not at the dentist. 
And I don't know anybody in the room that likes to go to the dentist and they take that sharp little tool and they start scraping your teeth for like 45 minutes. Does anybody like that? You know, like one, okay, like two or three people. Like, we just think you're weird. That's just all. That's, I don't know why. Anybody enjoys that. It's necessary. You got to go, right? But as hard as plaque removal is, like plank removal is that much harder. Like we have to, here's, here's a couple words to write down if you're taking notes. Repent and worship and then repeat. Repent and worship and then repeat. Because that's essentially what dealing with our sin is. It's, it's identifying it. God makes you aware of your sin and then you repent from it. You turn from it. You agree that yes, this is wrong. Yes, this is sin. And so I'm turning away from it and then I'm worshiping God. Like in, and, and if that isn't the rotation in, in the system in your life that's happening, then you're not dealing appropriately with the logs in your life. Self-criticism, casting criticism of other people just continues to grow. Now, how many times, think about it, how many times have you criticized someone when you have far more serious shortcomings in your own life? How often has that happened? Think about it. Be honest with yourself. It's a lot easier to, to criticize and, and, and condemn someone else and not even think about how I'm dealing or what I'm dealing with. But, but if we were, we would realize just how serious some of the things that are, are going on in our own heart are destroying relationships in my life, hurting myself, hurting others, and definitely even hurting your business and hurting your small group and your church. Jesus gives us a brilliant picture here. It's an illustration of this problem. Someone who is judging is like the person who has this huge log in their eye as they're trying to point out the small little speck in someone else's eye. Now, here's a question. Do you know why a lot of people can always, always see the speck in their brother's eye, not see the plank in their own? They're speck seekers. <laughs> they're looking for specks. We got some speck seekers in the room. Don't elbow your neighbor. Don't do it. You'll be tempted to. Don't judge them. <laughs> but there are speck seekers all over the place looking for the specks in other people's lives, examining that. Here are some statements that kind of reveal the speck seeking that happens. Do you see the way their kid is acting? Oh, my word. You've said it. I would have never done it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't have made that mistake. I would have done it the right way, right? He literally must be an idiot. I think he's an idiot. Some of you said that on the way to church today. Somebody cut you off. You're an idiot. You're an idiot, right? Listen, we're guilty. That's right. Think about this. There's, there's two different types of birds. They see things differently. You've got the vulture and then you've got the hummingbird, okay? So the vulture, here's what the vulture is looking for. Vultures looking for dead, rotting flesh. He flies around. He's always looking for the dead animal, the flesh, the smelly, rotten, right? That's what he or she is, is looking for, right? They, they feed on what is dead. They feed on what is in the past. They feed on that which is spoiled. And then you have the hummingbird. What's the hummingbird look for? The hummingbird is looking for the beautiful flower in the field, the beautiful flower even in the desert, right? Because the, the hummingbird is after the beauty and the taste of the nectar in the flower. So the hummingbird is looking for that which is alive, that which brings life. Listen, both birds find what it's looking for. 
And the reality is every single person in the room, you will find what you are looking for. Every single one of you. If you are looking for specs, you're going to find them. You're going to find specs at work, at school. You're going to find specs in God's church. You're going to find specs in leaders. If you're looking for something bad on TV, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something bad in your small group, you're going to find it. You're going to find whatever it is you're looking for. Because when you begin to expect something bad, you start to condition your mind to find whatever it is that you're looking for. And that's just human nature. You're going to find it. So much easier, so much easier to find faults in other people. When you look for them, man, you can find them so much more difficult. It's harder to look in the mirror and find them in yourself. And what Jesus is really saying here in verse 5 is, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite if you're doing this. You're a hypocrite if you're not judging yourself first. You're skipping the process. You're skipping the steps. You're not dealing with your sin. You're ignoring your sin. And you're just simply running to other people's sin. I guess it makes us feel better. His caution, his warning is to every single believer in the room. We have to, we have to, we have to deal with it. We got to repent, which leads us to worship. All right, number three, the next step. He says, then you'll see clearly. You see, when, when you and I begin the process of removing the logs in our own eye, we're, we're experiencing a repentful heart and a posture of repentance in our life, constantly identifying and turning away from sin, and we're worshiping Jesus. Personal worship in the word of God and prayer, corporate worship in his church. As we do that and remove the planks, the plank removal has happened, now we begin to see clearly. If you don't, if you do not remove the log in your own eye, you will not see clearly. You'll live life with blurred vision. And, and, and many of us in the room have blurry vision today. After the log is removed, though, then we can begin to see more clearly. Now, when your eye is clear, and only when your eyes begin to become clear, can you help a brother who actually has a speck in his eye? Now, listen, you... You wouldn't want a partially blind referee refing your game, would you? I guess all refs are blind. So, bad example. You wouldn't want a partially blind eye surgeon to perform eye surgery on you tomorrow, would you? Of course not. You wouldn't want a partially blind person operating you operating on you, just like you wouldn't want somebody who has a massive log in their eye telling you that there's sin in your life. I had a guy one time who had been divorced five times come up to me and say he wanted to teach a small group to young couples. No judgment here, but perhaps, perhaps that's not the best fit right now, <laughs> right? Perhaps that's not the best fit. Why, why, why would that even happen? He's not here, by the way, a long time ago. Why would that happen? Well, typically we all think we can see clearly. We all tend to think our opinion and our view is the clear and right view, and someone else's view is the unclear, blurred view. And so this is the problem. The problem is we all think that, and we automatically assume that I have taken the log out of my eye, but Jesus' point here is don't make that assumption. 
Don't make the assumption that you've already done the hard work of plank removal because many of us have not done that work. And so then you might ask, okay, well, who in the world doesn't have sin in their life that could actually begin to help other people take specks out of their life? Because it kind of seems like we would have to be perfect. That's certainly what the culture is telling us. You're not perfect, so don't judge me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. I mean, we all have sin in our life. We all have issues. Jesus is saying you, you don't have to perfectly rid yourself of all the sin in your life. No. He's actually saying you need to address the logs that are in your, in your life, in your eye. So he's making a distinction here. Right? All sin is sin, right? But there are levels of, of sin that, that create a certain amount of judgment in our life. Right? There's a difference here. And, and I think the distinction for us is, look, look if, 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 you're, if you're experiencing a log in your life, and, and you might, okay, what, what are some of these logs? Okay, well, I would say, uh, you know, adultery is a log. Don't give marital advice if you're not repenting of the sin of adultery, right? If you have a critical spirit, that's a log in your eye. If you are not repenting of a critical heart, and seeking forgiveness and loving other people. That's a log in your eye. And he is saying, remove those logs. You're always gonna have specks in your eyes. You're always gonna have sin in your life. So how do we, how do we confront sin though? What is the standard? And I would say the standard is Jesus. The standard is Jesus. He alone is perfect. He alone took the judgment that you and I deserved. He did not deserve any judgment. And he took it all for us. And so I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to help other people overcome sin. What he's telling us to do is remove the logs and then point people to Jesus. Because this is where we get it wrong. We get it wrong when we share our opinion instead of pointing people to the word of God. And so instead of just sharing your opinion, turn people to the word of God. Now, why don't we just turn people to the word of God? Many of us don't know it. And if we don't know the word, then we can't help ourselves overcome sin, and you can't help other people overcome sin and issues in their life. So we've got to know the word. And the problem that we get into is we start sharing our opinions and we start sharing what we think, and guess what? Nobody gives a rip about what you think. The only people that care about what I think are the people that know that I love them. And I would never listen to anybody if they didn't love Jesus, and I wasn't convinced that they loved me. And the same is most likely true for you. You wouldn't really consider any confrontational moment about sin in your life with anyone unless you knew they loved you and they loved Jesus. So why do we feel like we can pick up a self-righteous, judgmental attitude and start condemning people all around us? This is why the New Testament is filled with love one another, love one another, love one another, you and I are called to love people because as we love people and build that relationship, then and only then, as we follow the process of plank removal, repentance, and worship, can we then help them identify sin that is destructive in their own life. And so the challenge for us is to avoid the assumption of criticism and begin to love people as we build the relationship with them. We remove the planks in our own eyes to begin to identify and help them see areas of struggle in their own life that they may not see. But only unless we know the word of God can our eyes become clear 
and only if we're pointing people to the word of God can, can their eyes become clear. Your words of wisdom are not going to bring clarity. It's the Holy Spirit of God that, that anoints his words and that uses our conversations to help unveil the truth in someone's heart and in someone's life. There's only one standard, and that standard is Jesus. And we have to see clearly by looking to his word. Now, quick note, all the young people, teenagers, high schoolers, middle schoolers, college students, lean in for just a moment here. This book, in this passage in particular, your friends are going to hate this passage. And, and, and if they were to be here today and to hear some of this and they don't know Jesus, that like they would, they hate this because they don't want anybody telling them how to live. But because we have given our life to Jesus, we have submitted ourselves to his authority. And this is his word. Like, I believe wholeheartedly that the authors of this book were inspired by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and wrote down for us truth, that not, just, not just a roadmap, but the very words of God that bring hope, that bring life, that bring truth into our life. Many people have died because of the pages written in this book, because they believed in it so much. Your teachers at school, professors in college, are going to present critiques, and they're going to try to undermine the authority of the words in this book. And let me just tell you something. They're never going to tell you anything that hasn't already been said. They're never going to tell you anything that hasn't already been disproven by godly men and women who know this book. So here's my commitment, all the, all the young people. No matter where you go to school, no matter where you find yourself, five, ten years My commitment to you is please, 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 before you would even think about turning away from this or turning away from the church, that you would call me up and we would go to Starbucks or we would go to Taco Bell, your whatever, my treat, and we would discuss what it is that that your questions are when it's concerned in this book. Because I can tell you from my experience, anyone who undermines the authority of God's word and begins to veer off with a liberal theology or a liberal way of thinking about his word always leads to dark, deadly places. So we've got to see clearly. I want to see clearly. And the only way we can see clearly is from God's word. And that's why we point people to his word and not just our opinion. Because nobody cares about my opinion But by the power of the Holy Spirit, they care and would care only by his power to care about what his word says. Now, finally, number four. So we're seeing clearly. And then when we're seeing clearly, we go into step four, which is carefully confront sin. When you remove the plank from your own eye, he says, then you can go to your brother and help him identify the speck in his eye. So again, Jesus is not telling us that judging other people is wrong, he's telling us the correct way to do it. And we follow the process that leads us to carefully confronting our brother. And when we carefully confront our brother, what we are doing is in love, in humility, with a heart for them to be restored, that we would say, okay, like this is our heart. We want you to experience this truth in your life. So the mentality is totally different. Now, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for what have you to do with judging outsiders? 
Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. <laughs> What's he talking about here? Well, he's clarifying what we're discussing. And, 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 and what he's clarifying is that judgment is, is to be given to fellow believers. So in the confines of the church, fellow believers are, are, are to judge and, and to help us and each other identify sin in our life, not the outsiders. Here's a news flash for you. People who don't love Jesus are going to do evil things. Lost people are going to act lost. That's just, it's just who they are. You did the same thing before you met him. And so God judges them. We're not called to be the trumpet in, in society that, that judges. And, no, no, no. Specifically, we're to judge those inside the church. He says, purge the evil person from among you. Wait, what? <laughs> you belong here. <laughs> yes. But what he's dealing with is an unrepentant man who is sexually sinning, and he's inside the church. So what Paul is saying is, he's been confronted, he's unrepentant, so now we need to, we need to tell him to leave. It, 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 here's the reality. You got to shoot wolves in the head, because you don't let wolves run around with the sheep. You just can't do that. A good shepherd wouldn't allow that, right? If there was a sexual predator in anywhere near your child, would you want somebody who has a gun to kill the wolf, or would you just let, let that person ran, run, run freely? No. Chances are you would want leadership to do something about that and protect, protect our kids, right? Well, it doesn't matter if it's, a, if, if, if it's dealing with that issue or if it's someone else who's wreaking havoc relationally in God's church. If, if there's sin and it's not being dealt with, like the leadership in our church has issues. We've got to deal with that, right? And so, so Jesus tells us, and, and, and he, he, he clears this up on how effectively to do that. In Matthew 18, he tells us to, to first of all, we, we go one-on-one -on -one with the person who is in sin or who has offended us. If they're not repenting after that, then we go two or three, a small group, and, and, and then they deal with it. And if that doesn't work, then we take it before the church, and uh, that would be the leadership of the church. And then we deal with it on that way. And at that point, they still don't repent. Then it's time for that person to find another place, right? We believe people belong here, but, but at the same time, we're shepherds of God's church. So on that same note, it's never wrong to call wrong wrong when God says it's wrong. So when God says something is wrong, again, we point people to the scripture and when he says it's wrong, it's never wrong for you to say it's wrong. So as we talk about this, I don't want anyone to get the impression that we're not supposed to share our opinion when people ask. In, in many ways, the church is the conscience of America. And so when asked, we, we share. And, and, and when given an opportunity, we share. But it's all in the approach, isn't it? It's all in the attitude. It's, it's, it's all how we do it. And so as we think about this, we turn to John 7, where John says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. We've got to judge with right judgment those who are in the church. So, so okay, let's get real super practical. How do we do it? Number one, it's got to be the right person. 
We talked about this. The right person is the person who is already in relationship and there is a, a love and common bond there. That's the person, the right person. Some random person, some person that sees from a distance something happening, they don't have all the information. We've all jumped on Twitter or social media you know, too early and, and made a lot of assumptions when we didn't have all the, all the facts and we've made statements that we've regretted. So we don't want to fall into that trap. It's got to be the right person. Secondly, it's got to be the right place, the right place. Now, obviously, the setting environment is important, but the right place, what I mean, is in God's church. Again, God's church. It's why you need to be a partner. It's why we encourage people to take steps of obedience to become a member and a partner of a church. Because when you are becoming a partner, you are placing yourself under the leadership of the pastors, the leaders, the elders of the church. And you're essentially saying, when, it, when you see sin in my life, I, identify it for me. Those that I'm in relationship with, we're giving them permission to identify that. Because we don't want to fall to the wayside. Because we're all blinded partially in some area of our life and others are needed in our life to help us understand that, right? Matthew 18, this is how we, how we approach it. The right place is God's church. And then finally, it's the right way. It's all about the right way. It's all about the approach. It's all about the approach. It's all about your heart. Have you followed the steps? It's all about, have, have you gone to the step and, 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 and are you gently, are you lovingly with the purpose of restoration having that conversation. That's huge. Judgment can be wrong, even if you use the right standard and even if, 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 if you have the right words, but you do it in the wrong spirit. It can still be dangerous, right? So before anybody runs out of here and starts judging everybody or having conversations and stuff, before we get all hasty and, and start, start, start doing that, let's, let's reflect here. What has he told us to do? And what he's told us to do is, number one, before you judge others, judge yourself, right? Judge yourself. That's the first step. As we judge ourselves, then, okay, now we are then removing planks, right? We're, we're dealing with the sin in our life, repenting, worshiping. And then as we do that, we're seeing clearly. And it's at that point, now I can begin to see clearly, and now I can begin to help other people remove those specks. And when I'm doing that, I'm carefully confronting, carefully confronting. Right? I think that's the call and that's the challenge. Here's the bottom line. Judge situations with the right standard and in the right order. The right standard is God's word, not my opinion. It's God's word. So I got to know it. And I want to help people see it and read it for themselves. That's our standard. God's standard, right? That's the right standard. And in the right order. And in the right order is the process that Jesus has just outlined to you and I. And if we do that, then we're in this process of removing sin in our life and then helping other people and restoring other people. But not until that process begins in your own life. Now, Here's the reality. Some of you might judge your own self. You might judge your own heart. And you might say, man, the truth is I've, I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I, I've, never actually, I've never actually made that commitment to him. And, and the good news for all of us today is that Jesus took the judgment that you and I deserved upon himself. He took what we deserved so that we could get what he deserves. 
we get forgiveness. We get eternal life. We get a home and place in heaven. We get life to the fullest. And it's all because he took the punishment and the judgment that you and I deserved. I don't know about you, but I so wish there was a, a, a pastor, a small group leader, a leader in our church who loved me and built a relationship with me. And I wish he would have taken me out for coffee or taken me out during my college years to say, hey, look, man, see what you're doing and where you're going. I'm just telling you, it looks like you're on a bad, you're in a bad place. You're on a bad road. I just want to put some caution lights, some yellow flags, some red flags up in the direction that you're headed. I so wish someone would have done that. I feel like it would have, it really would have made an impact and probably changed the the course of how clearly I, I would begin to see. And I just imagine how many other young people, I just imagine how many of us in the room would benefit. But it takes men and women willing to go through the process themselves. And to that end, I want to ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray together. As we pray, some of you might be recognizing your need to commit your life to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you before you leave today, we've got some what we call section leaders. They're wearing white shirts and they've got name tags on. They'll be in the room as everyone begins to leave here. And I just want to encourage you just to go to them and say, I'd like to receive Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. That's simply all you got to say. Every week we also have the care and prayer room with volunteers in there that want to care for you, love you, pray with you, help you make any decision that you feel like the Spirit of God is leading you to make in this place. Lord, when it comes to critical spirits, it's hard for us to slow down and think about our own sin. It's so easy to see sin in other people. It's so much more challenging for plank removal to happen in our lives. And so for that today, Lord, we're asking your presence and your grace and your power to fill us. Help us to see it. Help us to see where we're, we're missing the mark. Fill us with your grace that we would truly repent and turn and run after your word and worship you. Lord, I pray for, for men and women that would mature in their faith and they would begin to help other people through their times and seasons of difficulties. We ask for your presence now fill our hearts as we seek you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.